Do you have a bucket list? A bucket list is a list of those things you'd like to experience, get done before you pass away, before you kick the bucket, so to speak. On Simeon's bucket list was seeing the Messiah. And of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to see the Grand Canyon or Victoria Falls before you die. Pretty normal bucket list items. Uh, one of my bucket list items is I'd like to retrace uh, the Northwest Passage that Lewis and Clark took uh, to the Pacific Ocean. But I wonder what part of our bucket list, if any, includes spiritual matters, eternal matters. Is there something that we're asking God to do in our lives, uh, for us, for others, for the church? Is there something that we want to see in redemption, his, his working out of his plan before we die, before we go? It's interesting to consider Simeon's bucket list alongside the description of his character. Luke describes him as righteous and devout. I wonder what our bucket list might say about our character. Conversely, I wonder what our character or how our character impacts our bucket list. I wonder about that interplay. If someone were to hear about our bucket list, what would they say? Or how might it reflect on our character? Or how is our character impacting what we actually put down on our bucket list? And I ask that because for Simeon, and I think for many of us, what's on our bucket list to some degree reflects what we believe will bring us consolation, comfort, ease, relief, Fulfillment, however you want to say it. Remember, seeing the Messiah was on Simeon's bucket list because he believed that the Messiah was Israel's consolation, Israel's comfort, relief. Let me read it to you again. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and pay attention to how the Holy Spirit's involved in Simeon's life. I want to reflect on that a little bit. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and there's, so there's this pregnant pause, kind of like a, a musical where everything stops and the vocalists step forward. Simeon has the child in his hands. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What or whom do we believe brings us consolation? As a child, I believed that as long as I got that present that I had been begging my parents for, leading up to Christmas, really ruining Advent, right, for my parents, just wearing them down. I want this present, right? I believe that as long as I got that present, that I would be consoled. I'd be at ease. I'd have relief. As I grew older, I realized that type of consolation was really fairly short-lived. As a teenager, it's not uncommon to latch on to 
other events or experiences or even people that we believe will bring us consolation, the, the starting position on the basketball team or a starting role in the play or admission to the preferred college of your choice as an adult. It can be a new job, a pay raise, a new relationship. What or whom do we believe brings us real and lasting consolation? Simeon looked forward to the first advent for the consolation of God. The first advent, the, that is the arrival of God's Messiah for the first time. Did you know that for ages, Christians have looked forward to the return of Christ for God's consolation? The second advent, the second arrival of God for consolation. Now, why would that bring us consolation? And I, I wonder if the 21st century American church is looking forward to the return of Christ for God's consolation. God's consolation is, is waiting on us as Christ returns because the cross-carrying activities of this life will be finished. And we'll be taken up, we'll see him in the air, and we'll meet him in the air, and we'll be taken up to heaven into God's presence where we're told in the book of Revelation, there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. There's eternal consolation. Are we looking forward to the second advent? Do we have the anticipation? What's on our bucket list? What do we believe brings us consolation? Simeon was most likely a priest. That's probably why... He hung out in and around the temple. He had that luxury in life to do that. And when he spotted the infant Jesus, probably 40 days old now, given the customs of the law and what was required for Mary and Joseph after giving birth to a son, it's about 40 days have passed, takes him in his arms, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon's ready for death. He's ready for death, but only after seeing Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. My eyes have seen your salvation. Have we seen Christ? Are we ready for death? Because it is the case for each of us that we're only truly ready for death when we've seen the Christ, when we've seen God's consolation for us as sinners. His care of us, in other words, his relief for us, his comfort for us in this world. Lasting consolation is only received as we see the Messiah clearly, a light. Once we receive him, we'll never walk in darkness, we're told by Jesus himself. If you've looked for consolation in other people or things, it's not uncommon. But let me encourage us to receive the consolation that's offered by our creator through faith in Christ. Great time of year to do that. A great time of year to experience what we most deeply need and our Creator has most graciously offered relief, care, provision as sinners. Why do we need God's consolation? Because we're sinful and we live in a sinful world. Insert whatever most recent news event that breaks our hearts, right? 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we sung just a moment ago, for the purpose of growing up and dying in Jerusalem as a sin sacrifice. Born in Bethlehem to die in Jerusalem to bring us comfort, us care, consolation. You can begin trusting Christ right where you are this evening, right where you're seated. You can talk to your, to your creator, talk to God like you'd talk to a friend or family member. I've written a prayer. Nothing special about the prayer. It's on the screen. But it does express, it reflects what Scripture tells us we are offered in Christ and how to express our desire to experience God's consolation. You could pray this or something close akin. God, thank you for the birth of Jesus. Thank you for providing us with consolation in a troubled world. Forgive me for looking for consolation in other people or things. I am a sinner in need of the consolation provided through Jesus, his death. Amen. Scripture teaches that when we pray this type of prayer, that we are being saved, that that, that new birth, born that men no more may die, born that we may experience the second birth. John chapter 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. When you, ex- when you pray that type of prayer, salvation has begun. Christ would say, he is bringing you to life because your mouth is professing something that your heart is believing, namely that Christ was born to die as a sin sacrifice. Look at how the Apostle Paul talks about the interplay between what we're believing in our hearts and what we're confessing with our mouths and how that results in salvation. He says, Paul writes, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified as a sinner. And Paul spends most of Romans explaining how sin is what we need salvation from. For it's with your heart that you believe you're justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so I encourage people all the time, if you feel welling up within your heart a desire to believe, then let your mouth profess what you, your heart is longing to believe. And Scripture says you will be saved. The process is underway. Salvation in Scripture is talked about as a, a, a moment in time, like birth. It's punctiliar, and it's process-oriented. We are both the people that have been saved, have been born again, and are being saved. Now, the Christmas message isn't only about our need for consolation as sinners. It's also about our need for things like encouragement, direction, power. In this life, as we wait for Christ's second advent, that's who we are as the people of God. We're the people celebrating the first advent and anticipating the second Much like Simeon, we wait. The greatest gift of Christmas is Christ, but the implications of receiving this great gift, that is of trusting in Christ as Savior, are much greater than simply the forgiveness of sin. Yes, we are saved from our sin, but we are saved to something. We're saved for a purpose. God's redemptive plan is at work in our lives and he's calling us to himself so that our salvation isn't simply about something experienced in the sweet by and by, but eternity starts now for those who are trusting in Christ. And we see that eternal experience in Simeon's life as we look closely. Did you notice the Holy Spirit's work in Simeon's life? As we trust in Christ for salvation, we can expect a similar work of the Spirit in our lives 
Let me drill down a little bit. In verse 25, we learn the Spirit's on him. And that's a strange thing to say. The Spirit is a person, third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit is on him, which seems to have the implication the Spirit is enabling him. That what Simeon's doing, he's doing by the power of the Spirit. And the good news of Christ's coming is that the Spirit for us today, post-resurrection, moves from simply being on us as God's people to in us, dwelling among us. When we express our trust in Christ, we receive a gift, like a bank deposit, Paul explains, given to us, guaranteeing our ultimate redemption, that is our eternity in heaven. And so we see that the Spirit's on him, and the Spirit is in us, enabling us to do what? Enabling us to wait. And not just uh, survive, but thrive. The Spirit is in us doing what we see the Spirit having done in Simeon. Luke describes him as righteous and devout. Folks, that's not a credit to Simeon. That's a credit to the Spirit who was on him. So as we wait, and in this world we struggle with sin for sure, and we're uh, in a world that's drowning in sin, but as we wait for the second advent, as people of faith in Christ, we receive the Spirit of Christ as a gift, and we're enabled to wait in righteousness and devotion. Isn't that good news? Next, we read that the Holy Spirit revealed something to Simeon. So the, the Spirit was on him and enabled him to wait as a righteous and devout man, and the Spirit's in those who are trusting in Christ, similarly enabling us to wait. But then the Spirit reveals something very personal and intimate to Simeon, namely that he'll not pass away before he sees the Messiah. How encouraging must that have been to Simeon to receive that type of message from the Spirit? This type of revelation, very personal, specific, individual, is not uncommon throughout Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament book of Daniel, we learn that Daniel describes God, our creator, as a revealer of mysteries. Jesus himself, when talking and describing who the Spirit is to us, said he's the Spirit of truth. That is, he leads us into truth. He's the Spirit that gives understanding, gives instruction, gives direction. Paul, when he's making his way uh, across the Mediterranean world, he says at one point, the Spirit prevented him from going into Bithynia. This revelation, right, this active participation, instruction, guidance is something we can expect from the Spirit. And it's true, I'm not exactly sure how it was revealed to Simeon that he'd not die before he saw the Messiah. I have met very few people that believe they've actually heard the audible voice of God. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But I am saying that most often when, when the Spirit reveals something to me very personal and intimate about my life or my family's life, it it's comes through the Word of God. It's often during a time of prayer or in the fellowship of others, those trusted friends and family member who are also sharing in the fellowship of the Spirit and they're weighing in on my life. That's how the Spirit speaks to us nine times out of ten. Finally, so he's on him, enabling him to wait. 
he's revealing to him that he, he'll not pass away, something very intimate and personal, guiding, directing, encouraging him. And then finally we're told he's moved. He's moved by the Spirit to the temple. wonder what that looked like. He's moved by the Spirit. So the same Spirit that enabled him to wait and revealed something encouraging to him moved him to a particular place at a particular time to accomplish God's particular purposes in his life. This type of work in our lives by God's Spirit is often referred to as a divine appointment. Perhaps you've used that type of vernacular before in describing what God's doing in your life. As God moves you into a position, something that brings Him glory and you joy. Now, as you may wonder, what exactly would that have looked like to be moved? And Paul says, the Spirit prevented me from going into Bithynia. And I often wonder, what's it mean to be prevented by the Spirit or moved by the Spirit? For Simeon, it could have been as ordinary. It could have been as ordinary as the urge to go to the temple for the 10,000th time. Perhaps one more time up to the temple, a trip he had probably walked, a journey he had taken thousands of times, and the Spirit gives him interest to do it yet again. Maybe it was a friend who stopped by his house. This has happened countless times to me as friends come into my life and encourage me or urge me. Maybe a friend stopped by his house and said, I'm going to the temple to pray. Come along with me. And the Spirit moved him. Theologians call this the providence of God. When God works in unseen ways to move us into position to work out his redemptive plans in our lives as individuals, but also for the collective good so that Luke could capture it in chapter two. And we could be reminded that trusting in Christ isn't simply a gift for the sweet by and by. It is a gift for this evening and tomorrow and the year ahead, whatever it may hold, as the Spirit moves us for his glory and our good. We often have the ability to see the Spirit's work retrospectively as we look back. As I look out in the room, I know many people in this room personally. And I know, I know the history and how you can look back and you can see God moved me, cared for me, consoled me, comforted me, Surely he'll do that in the future because it's harder to see in the present and in the future the Spirit moving. It's harder, not impossible. But we can often look back and say, I can see God's care of me, his providential working. I'd go so far as to say that it is the ordinary course of the Christian experience to be encouraged by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, and moved by the Spirit. This is, in fact, the very purpose for which the Spirit was sent into the world, and the pri a primary reason that Jesus was born, to enable our waiting for the second advent, to bear testimony to who Christ is. That's what Simeon was moved to the temple to do. It wasn't simply about Simeon. It involved Simeon, for sure. But it wasn't ultimately about Simeon's experience. It was about the experience of what God is doing in the world for countless numbers of people through faith in Christ. So, if you think you're here tonight by accident, think again. 
Or if you think you're here tonight simply to placate that friend or family member that keeps asking, think again. Or if you think you're here tonight because you wanted to be here primarily, that that was the prime mover, think again. Did you know that God has a will? It's true, we have a will. We're volitional creatures. We get to make decisions. I picked out a 20-year-old tie for this evening with the Christmas narrative on it. My favorite Christmas tie. We're volitional. But God is too. God has a will. And God is at work in our lives, encouraging us to wait, revealing to us very intimate uh, future events, how he's caring for us, encouraging us along the way, and then moving us into position for his glory and our good. In fact, if you're not experiencing the Spirit in this way, ask God to open your eyes to the Spirit's work in your life. There's at least two prayers to pray this evening. There's the prayer of faith, that initial prayer, the person who is first time wanting to trust in Christ as Savior. Praise God for that. But there's also the prayer of the discouraged Christian or the wayward Christian, or the Christian that's been living for themselves, or just the Christian that wants to see more clearly the consolation of God in their lives, the encouragement, enabling, empowerment, movement of the Spirit. Talk to God about it. Great time of year. As we move towards 2023, we need the Spirit, don't we? We need God's presence with us, Emmanuel. Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago so that we might experience God's comfort and care as sinners, and so that we might receive God's Spirit as we wait for the ultimate and the final redemption that He is working in the world by His Spirit. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, would you open our hearts and minds to see Christ more clearly? We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we pray that his enabling, encouragement, and instruction would make up the days to come for us as believers. Thank you for your spirit with us. In Jesus' name, amen.